cliffcentral.com. Welcome to a special edition here of The Bounce Show with me, Ben Kopinski. Test Match Rugby is back on the bill and the Springboks are back in action. This time it's going to be the Wallabies at home. Hasn't been a good year, hasn't been a good season, hasn't been a good couple of months, but uh, maybe things are going to turn around, maybe they're not. Who knows, who knows? Well, I'll tell you who does kind of know maybe more than all of us, and that is Mr. Johan Kutsia. He is with me today. He is my special rugby guest, and it's a guy that, uh, well, beginning of this year, I didn't know too much about. He was just a face. He was a cartoon on Twitter, and uh, he's become someone who I chat to on a weekly basis. Mostly because, well, he's quite an intelligent guy, he's pretty witty, he's got a good sense of humor, but mostly because his rugby insights are things that I can really relate to. Because amongst all the cuck right now, amongst all the disaster and the turmoils, it's quite nice to have a little bit of sensibility, you know, like um, a realistic take on things, a solid voice amongst all the chaos. And social media is chaos, let's not kid ourselves here. There's a lot of people ranting and raving and shouting a lot of shouting, not much listening. So today, we're going to kind of just drown out all the noise. Everything is going to become centered again, and we're going to get Johan's thoughts on a whole bunch of things. It's going to be quite something. So we do nothing else this Monday. We're just going to talk rugby. The time has come where we can actually just really isolate some issues, talk about some things, and provide some direction to the conversation that people are having right now. Wherever you go on social media, and mostly online as well, there's a lot of rumblings, a lot of grumblings, but I don't feel we're really getting anywhere, uh, which is quite... Well, I wouldn't say worrisome right now because ultimately it's not the fan's responsibility to be right or anything like that. But I think ultimately if you're a passionate box supporter and if you love rugby, it should be a little bit more than just Springboks play, people shout and scream and yell. So let's get somewhere today. Let's get somewhere today and let's welcome in Johan Kutsia. Right, so Johan, thanks for coming to the studio today. Um, I've been wanting to get you into the studio for a good rugby chat for quite some time, so thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Ben. Wonderful. And um, now, one of the things which I found quite funny is that you didn't want to come on the show because you were worried you had a funny voice. What the hell's that about? You sound perfectly fine. I think, like anyone else, I don't, I don't like the way I sound when I play back recordings of my voice. And the other thing is I'm a writer. I think you won't find a lot of writers liking to talk tend to find our thoughts when we sit down in the writing process, having to having to come on a microphone and ask or answer questions you ask. That's sometimes a little a little more difficult. Okay. Well, I just have one bit of advice. If you can get nice and close to the microphone, I, despite the fact my voice isn't great, I do this every single day now. Uh, so you get nice and close, and um, yeah, it's just a levels issue. But hey. We got we got all the housekeeping sorted. Get close to the mic and let's chat. So before we get into, I got I got many many questions for you. Don't worry, they're not going to be quick fire. I just want to get a general kind of chat so that we can kind of share some insights with people in the next week or two because we got two big games coming up. We got the Aussies this weekend and then the All Blacks next weekend. So just to kind of set the tone. Now, Alistair Garcia took charge of this team. And he took charge of the Springbok team with very little time to prepare. So he went straight into an Irish series where everyone's going, yeah, well, it's Ireland's kind of second string team. So, I mean, uh, he can experiment. He can get some new faces in there. Everything's going to be fine. Well, it was fine until they kicked off at Newlands. Pat Lambie took a hip to the face. And before he knew it, Ireland 26-20 final score. Their first game in, done. 
lost. Next game, up at the high felt, after the first half, the crowd were booing the box off the field. It wasn't good. I remember being there, and even after about eight beers, it was not pleasurable being there. Anyway, second half rally, and uh, 32-26, the box beat Ireland. Then it was down to PE, and uh, everyone thought, okay, well, the box have found their feet now. This is going to be okay. They're going to come back, and they're going to be rather, rather impressive this time around. 1913, they kind of scraped home against an Irish team that was stuffed. I mean, these guys have been on tour, end of a long season, and they were stuffed, and the box just beat them. Into the rugby championship we went after a bit of a regroup, and uh, well, in Nelspreet, another sketchy win, 30-23. It was sketchy because it was quite close in nature, and the box definitely went down to the Argentinian level of scrapping a bit. There was no real discernible game plan that we were hoping for in this new era. And then we went to Salta, and uh, we lost that one, 26-24. First time SA's ever lost in Argentina. Well, we say that, but, I mean, they came they came quite lucky in a few games in previous years. So not the biggest surprise. The frustration was that, you know, latter stage of that match, they finally had ball in hand, they finally did something with it, and they didn't look that bad. But then composure. Balls were lost, and uh, bad decisions were made. Anyway, that was it. They lost. The first game in the rugby championship, they lost there. Then to Australia, and what a limp, horrible match that was. It was two teams that you can just see aren't on their best right now. And more cracks started to show, and more and more people became despondent with this Bok team. 23-17, they went down after a flying start, where they scored two tries early on. Which then leads into last weekend. And sorry, um, whenever that was, I uh, forget the date now. New Zealand 41, SA 13, the third biggest ever <laughs> defeat. It's, uh, I laugh with pain, of course, but, uh, 28 points the margin there. And, uh, again, they were competent in the first half, but got absolutely steamrolled out of that. So seven matches down. Some people say it's too early to judge. Well, you know, when is too early to judge? Seven games in, as the Chris record reads, one, three, loss, four. Not looking good. Uh, incidentally, it is the same record that Hanika Mayer had, only three wins from the first seven, but he did have two draws in there, so maybe it is kind of worse. So, Johan, let's just start with um, the obvious, really. Is Osaka said to be harshly judged right now, or should we be more mindful of where he is in the system and the fact that he inherited kind of a dodgy sort of um, system to try and do something with? Yes, for Alistair to be judged at this stage, you're going to have to look at the bigger picture and ask yourself, What's wrong with the Springboks? What's wrong with their game plan? Why are they losing these games? And can it be blamed on the coach and on the coach alone? And the answer is it can't. Uh, it is not your, your main coach's job to teach defense. And at this stage, the box are losing because the other people, quite obviously, are just scoring too many points against us. So even when we do look good on attack, we just don't have enough points to get on there. It was most evident against the All Blacks, but it would always have been against them. But it was evident also when the Argentinians and the Irish and the Wallabies put us under pressure. We simply couldn't handle it. We, we no longer have dominance up front. Therefore, we don't get all the, all the ball and the front football that we used to. And, and now that our defensive system is completely out of shape, it, it, we're in trouble. But then the question comes, is that Alice's fault? And it's not. It's the administration behind him who gave him a defence coach who's never coached defence in his life. And while Shandru is a very nice guy and he'll become a very good coach, later on, right now, thrown in the deep end, it's not looking good. 
Okay, well, there's a couple of factors to that. Uh, obviously, international rugby is quite a quite a fierce beast. You can't just sort of you know rock up in June and go right. Let's uh, I guess get this going. You've got to really have your systems in place. All the best teams, you know, this is like after years of dominance. I mean, look at that All Black team. That didn't come after a bit of a kick around a Super Rugby. Those guys have been doing this for years now, and they're building on the excellence. If you look at England, they've gone through a lot of cuck, but they're resurgent now because they're building on excellence game by game. The box didn't have that luxury, and um, I'm glad you brought the defensive coach. So my first question to you is, did he have the full sort of selection freedom with the team that he has, or was it kind of semi-inherited? I think it was a combination of both. It was a it was a compromise. They weren't quite decided uh, whether they were going to go with Rossi Erasmus and the management team that he already assembled with him, which included guys like Sean Rue and the team doctor and, and all those guys. So they were already on the books working for the High Performance Center. And then uh, Alistair, when he got in, insisted on one or two of his own appointments, one of them being Matthew Proudfoot, who uh, was – He's forwards coach at the Stormers. Uh, so it's a combination of both. The fact that he couldn't choose his own team and didn't have enough time to approach people and, and really assemble one, that's, again, the fault of the administration. You cannot tell a guy that he's getting the job. He's, like, he's already got half his management team decided for him, and uh, there's no, no budget. They're trying to make the team smaller. The team, for example, doesn't have a kicking coach. Well, officially they don't have one. Unofficially they will fly Louis Kuhn in once yeah, a week. What's, what's Louis Kuhn doing? I mean, you love it. Get the, him in there. The point is the, the administration doesn't want to be seen to be having an a, 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 out-of-size management team. They were criticized for that before. And as a result, we're not getting a specialist. We used to have a kicking coach and a breakdown specialist and all those guys, and they were criticized at, at board level for that, and they now want to be seen to be not be doing that, but we're paying the price. Talking about the kicking coach, first six tests this year, 40 missed points at goal. Sure. Which is, you know, you talk about that test we lost in Argentina. We lost it by a small margin, and there were three or four kicks missed at goal, any one of which could have won us the match. And a bit of a sitter of a skepscorp towards the end there as well. So, Chiefus, yeah, you put that in perspective. That's horrible. But, like, okay, so expectations maybe, look, they're always skewed with Bok fans. Um, but when you think about it, since 2012, we've been a little bit cuck in Super Rugby. I mean, our teams aren't consistently really at the top there. Um, by virtue of the, of the conference system, we're making playoffs more than anything else. So, again, you've got... There's years here where things have kind of hit the skids. We've hit the kind of doldrums as far as getting dynamic players coming through. On the issue of coaches itself, now, people have been, I would say incorrectly, they're not questioning the merits of Kutsia's appointment. But when you go back, right, the guy's got super rugby experience and a lot of it. He's been the assistant box coach. You know, this guy's got a pedigree, which I think ticks all the boxes in a very obvious way. Would you say, I mean... Again, we're just trying to get some clarity towards the issues during this conversation. So you would agree with me that it's absolute bullshit that people are saying that he doesn't doesn't deserve to be there. It's definitely qualified as as far as South Africans go. If you wanted an international coach, you could have found a better CV. And if you consider that this call had to be made before the Lions really started performing in in Super Rugby this year towards the latter stages, then he was our best qualified coach. You just look at previous, when he was in charge of the Stormers, how often did they win the conference trophy? That made him the best coach in South Africa. Exactly. And it happened often. And then again, as you mentioned, he was the Springbok assistant coach for four years in a World Cup winning cycle. That in New Zealand would have made him the next coach. And, And maybe... Maybe his appointment came too late. He should have. They should have built on that. Kept kept Eddie Jones if they didn't like Jake. Kept him on. Kept management team on and, and put Alistair in charge back then. 
maybe it came too late, but in terms of CV, it's as good as any other coach we've ever had, bar maybe Heineken who, who had won the Super Rugby. You have to look at where other coaches are. Other coaches, the successful ones, even they came from Nick Mallet. Today, everybody's favourite, as if he knows everything about rugby. He was coaching Borland. But, but, he, but he does. He does. <laughs> <laughs> he does, and he, and and he was a very good coach. I'm not criticising. I'm just saying, in terms yeah. of CV, if you had to criticise, if that was a valid criticism, if that was a criteria, that yeah, then he he wouldn't have made it. Jake White was under under 21 coach, did some assistant coaching as well. But he was a video guy essentially. Who yeah, he was a, a yeah. worker now. Worked with Heineke back then, you know, and and out of that management team, people say we don't have any any continuity. Out of that previous management team, Heineke was working, Jake was working, all of them got got jobs, and then Alistair also comes from that system. He was an assistant previously. He understands the box setup, he understands the ethos, he understands how they work. So I think all in all, a very good appointment. Given if he was given the proper backup, if he was, if we are to change our game, if we are to become a bit more entertaining, if we are to become a bit more adventurous, I don't know if he necessarily on his own can bring about those changes. If you want that and, and everything points in that direction, then, then give him the backing. Give him someone who has coached that before, who has had success with that before, instead of just hanging him out to dry. Okay. Well, you're teeing up my questions quite nicely here. This whole thing about this romantic notion that we could become an exciting, avant-garde kind of rugby nation where we throw the ball around and beat teams by 36 points, you know, while sidestepping our way under the goalposts. Is that, again, I mean, it's just a little bit of naivety here from the general public and just general people thinking that because, again, that's never been our culture. It's never been the way we've won games. So should we be holding on to this or is that just also just bullshit? I just actually wanted to disagree with you there. That is exactly the way we used to win games. When we had... And if when, you look with, at the last with, 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 with Carl, era, Carl Duplessis era and everything before that, we used to have a really strong forward pack. We used to have gain line advantage, and then you put this one as away. If you look at when we were successful, you look at Nick Mallet's team, that, that massive win in Paris that they had, it was running successful rugby. When we came back against the All Blacks in Durban, what, what was that, 90, 98, I think? Yeah, 24-23. Yeah, and we, and we had to come back from, I think it was 18-0. There were some, two rally malls in there, and yes, yeah. got... <laughs> But it was still attacking rugby, and, yeah. and the win we got in New Zealand, that was a little inside. It, it was the sidestepping of entertaining, trying to score dry games. Uh, what, we, what went wrong, and maybe the fans are right, and I, I normally don't agree with them, but we moved away from that. All right. We started choosing the Bromfon Strattons at fly-off. We started choosing the Trevor Halsteads at inside centre, wanting to bulk up there, not caring about skills anymore, only caring about bashing, bashing, bashing. To get very rushed defence, yeah. Yeah, and trying to get the easiest points we could while just making sure the defence doesn't concede that much. So uh, if fans expect that we... We play like New Zealand, we're probably never going to play like them, but we've got a version, we've got a traditional version of Springbok rugby that is as entertaining, and that is perhaps something that we have to return to. Okay, this is very good, right, okay. So Alistair, he isn't the most flamboyant or exciting, Stormers rugby proved that season after season, but again, it's like you get people to execute a game plan. Now, right now, you look at whatever Alistair has got in his mind, whatever his, his coaching team is putting together, it's bloody useless when guys are dropping the ball or kicking the ball out in the full or for some reason just testing how solid Israel um, Falau really is under the high ball. There's not a lot the guys can do with that. I mean, it's a fair comment to say that they're not really being helped out on the field. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter what your exactly. game plan is. If you can't execute basic things like catching a ball or throwing into a line-out, the best plan in the world will fail unless you have a plan to 
completely play without players. So they they're not helped there. But it's actually it's exactly things like that that caused us to move away from giving the ball a bit more air. In the past, we tried to cut out risk. That's where our notion of percentage track becomes wrong. We, we, if if you don't give a player the chance to knock, if you rather just hand it to a forward to knock into there, and you've got yeah. five guys covering it, it's easier. You're not going to make mistakes. But in the end of the day, we've painted ourselves into a corner in that way. We know we can score no more than twenty, twenty-two points against the All Blacks, and we're not good enough defensively to stop them from doing that. So even at our best, if we were to beat them, it would be twenty-two, twenty, something like that. Whereas if we are slightly off our game, they can rock it out to 42. 41-13, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So um, should I completely forgot my next question here on this? Right. So Elsie Garcia is the right guy right now. Um, I would be the first. And I remember when he was appointed, I thought that was the first thing. He is the right guy. He's probably the only guy because there's never going to be an international coach, right? For as long as we might – Brian Borovos on a Saturday, I can't see there being an international coach in this current structure. Would that be a fair comment as well? Yeah, no, that is. There's no international coach who would have accepted the terms that Alistair got that job on. Uh, there's also very few international coaches that would, at this stage in the Springbok development cycle, want to take over because you're in, it doesn't matter who coach, you're in, bound for a couple of bad seasons or, or building seasons. Yep. Unlike Eddie Jones, when he took over England, that was the end of a four-year cycle. He still had that entire management team in, still had the same team going, so that was they were primed to start performing at some time. He just had to make a few minor changes. Not the case of us at all. No, exactly. Okay, so let's just take a few things off here. So in our big chat, we're going to get through and be very constructive. Alistair Garcia, right man, backup staff, need some work. Okay, so we can tick that off. We can go. The issue of transformation now, Alistair Garcia was said to be the guy who's going to be much better at that than anyone else. Now, if you go through from Mallets and guys around there at that stage, um, there wasn't really anything mandated to the guys, but in their contracts, it was like, be aware of political um, sensitivities, uh, realizations, or something along those lines. It was, it was like a gentleman's agreement that we need to start actually making this team not all white, you know, all things considered, it can't be like it's going forward. But it was nothing more than that. It was like a suggestion. Alistair, on the other hand, it's a lot more sort of aggressive as far as what needs to happen here. Again, when you really look at it, it shouldn't be his role because the Super Rugby coaches aren't picking talented black players coming through. If Curry Cup level, Varsity Cup, all that kind of stuff, if that's not happening, Alistair can't suddenly just create that. I mean, it's like being at the end of a conveyor belt and you haven't got to all the pieces, but now you're meant to have the final object. So... Is that something that he can can do better than anyone else as far as his experience with the Stormers? Or does he just need every single one of these factors to work for him? Otherwise, he is so screwed. I want to pick up on a couple of points uh, on the subject that you made. First of all, is Alistair the right guy for this? Yes, because, and as you've shown with the Stormer, with the Stormers, when he coached them and selected those teams, it really doesn't matter to him what the color of the guy is, which is important because that also comes down to player development. So he doesn't, like Heineke did, go and choose Andre Pollard and the Jesse Creel because these guys are young, talented white players that I picked out of the system, out of these fancy little private schools, and I'm going to force them into the Springbok team. Yeah. He doesn't do that. He gives equal opportunity and equal growth chance for them. Um, whether at Springbok level it's the right place, and that was your question, to go and do that, um, no, it's not. It, it should be a natural progression, not only from Varsity Cup and, and Curry Cup, as you said, but actually from junior level from under 13 level upward that is where 
the focus should be on on bringing black talent through and and at this stage it's not at this stage it's afterthought once you get to a certain level once you get to a, a semi pro let's call it varsity cup going into the old Vodacom cup then all of a sudden it becomes a requirement uh, Craven Week Dave, it's, then they do it then they don't do it but when you know there's no development happening you can't develop someone at a Craven Week you can only force them exactly. it's at Placement. schools level it's a developmental level that these things have to happen as for to to touch on your on your point about Alistair being the first guy to have it in his contract uh, I think there's a valid reason for that and I think that reason was the previous two Springbok coaches who did very little to develop talent. If if you look at, at Heineke, for example, and, and I know this is going to sting Heineke fans, but it happened too Sorry, often. Sorry, there's not many left of that. <laughs> it's, it happened too often where he would, uh, his wing would get injured, the next in line would be Loise and Volvo, but then he would go choose Jesse Krill out of position, never played yeah, a game at wing, and put example, him in there, yeah. and then we lose. And and he's done the same thing with uh, against his Japan well, games. Japan, yeah. Peter Stephens, Peter Stephens, Peter Stephens, out of nowhere. Yeah. At seven. And, and Heineke was a guy who said, trust me, I'm going to do it. So there was nothing in his contract. I'll bring, I'll bring his guys through. Trust me, I'm a... And, and when push came to shove at the World Cup, he ended up with four or five black players that played under Jake White already. Meaning that, if you look at it, it's Beast and the Banner and, and those guys. They, they're the guys who played. He didn't... Neither him nor Peter de Villiers could develop one player good enough to play for the Springboks when it mattered in eight years' time. And that is maybe why. Wow, that is a sobering realization. And that is maybe why from, from SA Rugby side, they're saying, guys, this is not good enough. We, we did trust you. We did try and put, and, but you're not coming through. Fair enough. The whole thing about trust. I mean, um, you, uh, sorry, I didn't actually intro you properly here, Johanna. We just got straight into this. We'll get to that in a bit, though. But, uh, Johanna is one of my favorite sports writers and he writes for Supersport, essentially. So is it every Tuesday or Monday your column comes out? It does doing super rugby. I do a, a little satirical column where, where, where uh, you know every week. No, not at this stage. No, it's not doing a Springbok team. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, doing super rugby. Johan's wrap ups are brilliant, and um, there are two or three guys who I really admire on the whole super sports um, platform. One of them is Gavin Rich, and I'm, I'm reading his book slowly but surely. I'm getting through it about the Springbok coaches. And uh, there's been a lot of, when you think about it, people are saying, oh, this transformation, it's, it's cuck and you can't be forced. There's been a lot of leeway that has been given since 1992 onwards of people saying, look, guys, can we get to a point where this is going to happen? Everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And as you just pointed out, eight years, and they haven't developed between those two coaches. One guy they can say has come through the system. That is kind of worrying. But again, Alistair Garcia, it's not, he's not at fault here. If anything, he will have a much better grasp on these things. Let me tell you the thing about Alistair and, and why he's the right guy for this. As Alistair's the first coach we've had probably ever in a Springbok team that would select a black flyer from a white wing. He doesn't have those preconceptions that other guys have. You have to stick the guy that yeah. is developmental into a role where he can't do that much damage. Um, is Yankees the right guy now? Was it a gamble? You know, that. <clears throat> he's, he's not playing on form. He's not playing on lines form. <clears throat> but he—that's uh, not the coach's fault, and that's not—that's not a fault of, of of who he is. Uh, Alistair doesn't have those little boxes that he that he puts people into, and this guy has to just do this and this, to, uh, and and that's why he's the right guy. So if if a black talent comes through, if there is an MA, let's let's say let's say Wari Kalant of the Bulls, who's one of my favourite new rugby players, unfortunately injured at the moment. And I can promise you two years from now, he's going to be our Springbok's 
he's going to be our guy. That's why Johan Gerson's playing now. He's not a long-term option. Yeah. He's just a placeholder at the moment. He wants Holland to come through, and under him, Holland will come through, whereas previously it wouldn't have happened. It would have had to have been a, a very big, sturdy guy like Zane Kirshner, and he would have been told not to play. Just, play, just be solid so you can't make mistakes. <laughs> okay, so the next part, um, succession planning. Okay, Now, New Zealand are really, really amazing at this. Everyone's going on about it. Um, you know, to other degree, the box were pretty good at, at some stage, purely because they had players coming through, and there was no overseas distractions. Our injuries weren't quite as bad. Maybe they were, but I'm just going on a hunch with that one. Whereas now, it's like, oh crap, we need that guy. Okay, well, let's try this dude here. A lot of it seems quite reactive, you know, with um, players playing on a position in back lines. I know recently a lot of talk is about are these the right centers? Should that guy be at fullback? I mean, what's going on here? So, if we were to look at this now. And without saying too doom and gloom, but this Pock team is a little bit broken right now. So I think the pressure should be off in the grand scheme of things. Is it not in Alice's best interest to be a little bit more vocal about what he's going to do with this team? Not that he has to be. And this is something us fans must always bear in mind. He doesn't have to account to us sitting on the couch with a beer in hand. But I know what would be better, like what you just said now about Warwick Lunt, is it not better to kind of be a bit more transparent in the media and say, look, we've got a plan. We're going ahead. Our transformation um, objectives are very much attainable. These are the guys that we want to focus on, and these are the guys that we're going to look to groom in these positions. Maybe that's a PR exercise. Maybe that just helps with forward planning. Would, from your side in the media, something like that appeal to you more and give more hope for the players and, and the fans alike? No, I won't agree with that at all. Because what message does that send to anyone else? If, if you, if, I think that was Heineke's biggest problem. Okay. Is, and that's why guys like CJ Stunder had to leave and all those guys because Heineke said, these 15 players are my team in four years' time. And uh, everybody else said, just, okay, I'm obviously written off, let me go. Well, just like a, a core skeleton of people to work with as, as such. You know, the whole thing about central contracting already says that if you're in um, – the, the whole sorry contract. If you contract, it means you're going to be part of that. If you're not contract, it doesn't mean you're completely out of the picture. It does, but, but then don't single players out in the media. Don't say that guy is a guy I've got focused and he's, he's in my plan because there might be three guys in that position, all of them had hopes, and some of them might end up better. Um, as I say, I think that's, it, it did happen previous, under previous coaches and it never worked out for us. Okay. All right. Well, that's a fair point. So would it be, again, a feasible thing for the big debates have been the box always seem to be playing from World Cup to World Cup, and it's all good and well because it often disguises a lot of the um, the sort of uh, what's the word? Sorry, English my first language, but I lose it every now and again. All the ineptness of the side. Okay, so it's like okay, well we've lost these games, but don't worry, we're building for the World Cup. Is this another situation that's going to happen now? Are we going to mask all these bad results towards World Cup building? I don't agree that you have to build for World Cups at all. I think the best preparation for a World Cup would be to win all your to matches. To win, exactly. Momentum. That's exactly yeah. what the All Blacks do. They, if you've won three of the last four rugby championships, that's good build-up. Uh, the World Cup year, the, the, from January that year, I, then you can be excused because then you're resting players and then you're working on, on things like conditioning. But you, you can't do that in the, in the three years before that. Then you build the winning team and you try and win not maybe this Saturday, but you try and build the best team you can yeah. so that they come, can become an effective team. Uh, not with Iron World Cup on now to get start getting results now to become a good team now because the longer that you are a good team, the better your chances will be. Completely. Makes perfect sense. So getting on to the Super Rugby franchises right now, like I said earlier, since about 2012, they haven't done all too well. 
there's been a general drop-off. Um, I think it coincide with the bills becoming a little bit weaker. Yes, the lines are resurgent, but, I mean, that's just one example. And I get the impression the lines are very separate to the rest at the moment. How much freedom do you reckon a Springbok coach should have going forward as far as working on players, working on systems, getting it more in line with how New Zealand have? Is it something that should happen, or is this never going to happen in this country? I think should it happen, we all agree it should happen. There should be one... If not one set of rules, then at least one encyclopedia, South African encyclopedia, which everybody should share. Yeah, they should, yes. Uh, and, and that goes down to conditioning, it goes down to skills coaching, and, and, and to a certain degree it is happening, especially with the, the high performance unit, which is a little dysfunct, dysfunct at this moment, but last year, up until last year, worked fine, where it was a sorry initiative. Working in hand with a Bok team that would go to the different franchises and then would go work on core skills and would go test fitness levels and all those kind of things. So in some way, uh, it's already happening, except this is South Africa, not New Zealand. This is all about egos in this country. In New Zealand, nobody cares. It's kind of sad, like you say things like that, because I completely agree with you. But it's like it just sounds so wrong how that can still exist. It is, and and it happens from a very, very young age. It, It happens at primary school level where if you have two good primary schools in the town, those two coaches won't speak to each other because the other one can't have my knowledge because you have that, then he's going to beat me on Saturday. So already the, already their secrets are being kept and, and your own little knowledge base is being kept and built on by yourself. Uh, and it's a symptom, everything. Everything that's wrong in a rugby is a, is a symptom of what goes wrong at junior level already, where it's all about winning this Saturday. So instead of... Using, you know, let, let's take one example, high schools. Where previously in my day, if you played 15 games a year, that was a lot. Okay. Nowadays, you play from the very first week till the very last week of the rugby season, and most of them are big games. Some of them are televised. What's the rugby season? I mean, that's in itself a flaky comment now. The problem, no, the problem with that is that previously you had a, a month, month and a half preseason, yeah. you know, where just the other guys that if you go on being very well in it, going to essays for athletics, you'd, you'd stay out. But the rest of the guys were training rugby, and they could do skills. You know, the coaches actually went through skills and, and did all those things. Now it's, it's straight in. He, he chooses the biggest 15 players he can, and he chooses and, and, he, and he teaches them the simplest game plan, something they can snap immediately inside the space of a week because this Saturday we have to win already. And, uh, and that goes through since, since that happened, since schools rugby became so big and so competitive. And, and you'll hear very, a lot of, of schools principals agree with this. And, and that's why they, they, they're going a little slower on it now is because since that happened, that faulted up. Now all of a sudden our provincial coaches have players. They only have players available that you can, that understand that they're big and that you have to give them this short little, do short passes, take contact here, make sure it's covered, bring the ball out here. There's no skills. When last did you see a South African centre fling a 25-metre pass to the left, pinpoint for a wing to score like Dane Coles did? But ask yourself when would a hooker have been given the chance to learn that skill? In South Africa, he won't. Wow, that is actually, yeah, I mean, I, I thought about it recently as well. Like All these games are televised on TV like uh, Saturday, primetime rugby for these kids, and it's really a big deal. And all the sponsors' logos, and then the stupid cliched interviews. I mean, it's already happening there for them. When do these ki- kids get an opportunity to actually really fling it around? We saw it a bit of, at Craven Week. I mean, it, it's almost like there's less pressure there because the guys are going there, and there's no official final, there's unofficial final at the end. But it's very, very hectic at the school level. And um, there's a big concern. But I want to touch on the overseas players. Although this is happening now with um, schoolboy level, even they're getting scouted. How big a concern 
in your mind, is this whole exodus towards players going overseas? Is it blown out of proportion, or is this a massive reason as well why the box has suddenly become a bit weaker? I think it's blown out of proportion, to be honest. And and, and I I know not a lot of people would agree with me, and, and not a lot of people who write about it agree with me about it. I think the latest I know about is about 700 South African players overseas, and, and people will throw that in your face and say, but how can we stand a chance? You have to understand that of, of those 700 if you'll be lucky if a hundred of them would have actually made it in South African rugby, exactly. and most of them would have been at smaller unions. We're talking about you can choose one or two, let's say BC Bok teams out of there. So it's thirty players max that you're talking about that really hurt us, and and the market for that in Europe and in Japan, it's it, it's set. You know, it's not a bottomless pit. The B the BC unions they're not going to have the money to buy these big name players. So what do you do if you're Toulon? You can only have 15 South Africans, and, and they won't because they also have New Zealanders and they also have, have Australians. So, um, yes, these guys go. It's, uh, the smaller guys, the younger guys that go, they don't hurt us that much. We, we've got the talent to cover that. And as I say, it, it will reach a, a point of saturation at some stage, and, and then we'll be better off. Uh, would it have been better if those guys played here? Yeah, of course it would have. It would have made it much easier, uh, sure. especially in terms of conditioning and skills training as we sp- in, in the context that we spoke about it earlier. But they're not – but we've got a lot of young talent here. Yeah, if, if we could learn to develop our talent instead of having to look back to guys that went overseas already and we've got no more control of it, we would be much better off to the point where I'd say actually almost want to go to the Australian system saying you had to play – Let's say 35 Springbok tests before we consider you if you're not playing within South Africa, and and that's where I disagree completely with the selection of Stephen Kitzoff out of France because that's just opened up Pandora's box. That's the first Springbok ever selected out of that wasn't playing in South Africa, and now what reasons left to stay here? Uh, that was wrong, and and if it was for a brilliant player, fine, but Stephen's not that great. Well, even if he was, he's still going to be the beast understudy anyway. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's also about just using your resources better. We can all sit here and go, oh, you know, it's like the whole Kevin Peterson scenario again. He wasn't that great. It wasn't the massive loss to go over there. He went there. He was inspired. He went to pr- prove a point, basically, which is great. Good for him. But he wouldn't have been the player if he stayed here. If he stayed at KZ, he would just be okay. So, he became a great player. He wasn't a great player when he left. Exactly. But, but now that, bring, that brings up another point. Why, if he stayed in South Africa, would he have stayed average? And why did he become brilliant in England? What's the difference there? Why, why is it that they can develop talent and we can't? Why is it that if you look at the Argentinian team that beat us, uh, what was it, four weeks ago, not one of their players would have made SA schools, and you know that. Yeah. Yet they can beat us. And why is that? That is the question we have to ask ourselves. Exactly. Why it's, is the, it? it's the managing because, the resources. Yes. Yeah. So, it's, it's, it's talent development. It's a lack of coaching. It's a, you know, it's, we all have these, as I say, once again, from junior level, you have coaches that can only teach guys how to bang because that's the only thing they know because that is how you win a game on Saturday. You don't have skills coaching. You don't have – we've got nothing, and we're in trouble with that. If we – like New Zealand, there's a lot of people saying New Zealand because of continuity, New Zealand's good because of this, they're good because of central contracting. They're good because for every five world-class players, they have a world-class coach. We don't have that ratio. We have 5,000 to 1, maybe. Well, this is, this is what I think is the biggest problem with SA Rugby, actually, amongst all of this. And this is why we've got to bring up all these different factors. And I'm sorry if I'm using it as Oracle, which I'm just signing off. But the whole coach thing, um, your reference there is spot on. For every maybe 5,000, we've got a guy who's really, really dynamic and doing something. Whereas New Zealand, it's like, it's like an understanding of the system. For all the guys that 
aren't that great in rugby, but they're still got the rugby minds. They are using it and being allowed to use it. How is that? How are we going to change that? I mean, we're seeing a guy like Rusty be lost to the system, so to speak. I mean, we need a guy like that's going to head it up. Is that something again that is possible, or even thought of, in the it's, current it's, structures? I'm sure it's thought of. Uh, is it possible? Once again, you come back to the South African ego. If you can't even get two coaches at the very top level to agree, because one as a small disagreement with the other about one guy that they wanted to appoint, and now he packs his bag and he goes off to Ireland. That's something you'll never see in New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's part of the All Blacks ethos, is no egos allowed. So whether you're a coach at a provincial union or at a school, if there's a, bigger, if there's a bigger picture, if there's a bigger calling for you, then that's what you do. No egos allowed. And in South Africa, that will never, ever, ever happen. This could actually be a very short interview. We can just say, what's happening? No egos. Take it out. It'll do a hell of a lot of difference. That is, it's kind of sobering when you think about all these things because as great as New Zealand are, and I mean, these guys aren't Norse gods firing thunderbolts out of their asses. They're just guys who like rugby and are playing rugby. It's all it is. And they're being unhindered. I know they've got a smaller population and it's easier to do things with it at an administration basis. I mean, if a team has three talented hookers, I mean, for so long, we've had franchises here with two great hookers. And then we've got a franchise with a guy basically throwing the ball to the scrum off the line out. The void is that deep. In New Zealand, they would have split. Whereas here, it's like, no, screw it. I'm holding on to both of them. What happens if that guy has a bad week or he gets injured? So it'll be held on to. Also, the other part of the story is in New Zealand, no coach at franchise level will have a hooker that will throw to his scrum off because they coached. They've got <laughs> skills coaching. And they've got skills coaching not only at franchise level, at super rugby level, they've got it at their provincial level. And they've got it at school's level. Uh, what we don't have is that. We can't take, let's say we've got a thousand potentially great players at under 13 level. Of those, we'll be lucky if at the end of the day, three of them get through to the system. Now, New Zealand don't have that. But let's forget New Zealand for a moment. Argentina don't. They've got 20 okay. at under 13 level. And all 20 will become internationals. Australia, the same thing. They don't have players. They don't have the numbers. Therefore, every bit of talent they have, they have to squeeze the last ounce out of it. Right. And we just sport for choice in South Africa. Our, our biggest asset is also our biggest curse. Because if one guy is not good enough, you just bring another guy in. And you just bring another guy in. And you never have to teach them anything because you can just choose another guy. Choose a bigger guy. Choose this. And unless we find a place where we can make sure that Let's, let's narrow it down now to high school level where you have maybe 200 guys who could maybe potentially play. If we, if you, if we had enough coaching across schools level and we can make that number 2000, you know, that's uh, just, just tenfold. That would make the spring box so much better. It would give franchises so much more options. And then from yeah. there, the coaches have to get even better and, and better going forward. But at that stage, it's not about that. It's about egos. So the union president would ask who's the best guy who suits my ego to coach my franchise. And that I can get his couple of yabutis in there. And, and, you know, because it's all about ego and it's not about the players at all. It's not about talent management or development. It's only about, can I get a result? And, you know, from, from the batch, what do I choose and what do I do to get that result now for me? Wow. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, like, if you're a talented coach coming through maybe high school level, I mean, a lot of coaches nowadays, are, it's becoming like a full-time thing in high school. It's not just the guy who basically was teaching you biology at 2 o'clock. is now teaching you rugby at 3. So, you're saying a lot of guys aren't kind of being – uh, rewarded through the system as well to the guys who are there just because they just know the right people or ex-players? 
You're not really seeing dynamic coaches coming through yeah. in the merit system. The problem we have at this stage is that we've got a, a massive gap between your normal normal school and your elite rugby school. Yeah. I'll give you an example. My my nephew, he went to Monument Standard 6 about three years ago, so he's still there. Uh, and he wanted I hope to you're not still in Standard 6. No, no, no. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. He's my nephew after all, but... <laughs> Uh, anyway, you wanted to go to boarding boarding school there, and the rules were simple: if you didn't play provincial sport, you couldn't get into boarding school. That's wow. Once you once you got accepted, and he got accepted by some side route because he had for angling for deep sea angling provincial <laughs> colour, so you know he got accepted in. Uh, and then he was told, you know, you you will have these four meals a day. You will have these protein shakes, your gym timers from this time to that time. And then they've got rugby as a subject that's cool that you actually have to physically go and sit in the Jeez. classroom and learn theory. So that's apart from coaching. They got a director of rugby and then a, a fitness coach. And and that's for school team. And as you say, you, we used to have our PT, PT teacher used to do that between two and three in the afternoons. Yeah. Uh, but you've got those those type of systems, and those are your top twenty schools. The guys we see on TV, the guys we read all about. That's where your Springboks come from. And then you got your normal guy where where it pretty much still works that way it's pretty much still just uh, you know the teachers take turn to to coach the first team and and the guys they're not in gym they you you can't compare those two anymore that that's where that number i set for maybe potentially 200 people and and at matric level can go on to become because it's only those guys in in the elite rugby systems coming back to your point of coaching what does that mean for coaching it means only from elite schools will people be able to be promoted to, you know, look at the Lions. Johan was a Springbok, but, but other than that, Lofi Yilof was a, was a, uh, schools coach that went through the system, then coached David Week under 21. Uh, I know Hans Kutsia coached him for a while. He's a monument director of rugby. Lof, uh, Franz Yilof was a schools coach in the Lions, mm-hmm. but they're all big schools and they had to go through that system. Uh, a good coach of another place won't get a chance. There's no, there's nothing in. How do you convince? How do you sell yourself to a union president that has self-serving interests? Sure. Yeah, these these are quite a, quite a few things to con, consider here, um, and especially when you're now looking at sort of transformation as well. It's like we all know the talents out there, but I mean, if it's not getting into these systems, these silos, as you're po- pointing out, what chance do they really have? And then it, the politicians, everyone turns around to Alistair and says. Look, Alice, you're the Springbok coach. Why are you not doing this? Mm. It's like, well, the, the system's feeding me nothing. It's as simple as that. It's like, um, you, you know, you, you're wanting a Michelin five-star meal, but I've basically got a couple of carrots and some broccoli. There's nothing here to make this thing with. True. No, what, what you have, you, you spoke about that silo. I want to make a point. I want to ask a question, and the answer to that question would would give us a basis to talk from. The question is, when will we be transformed? When can we say as South African rugby, okay, we've reached this point where we can consider ourselves transformed now? And that's never going to be about how many black people are in the Springbok team. And I don't think anyone in rugby wants that. You don't want even count numbers there. If it was right to count numbers, then the American 4 by 100 relay team would have had a white guy and a, you know, a Native American. Exactly. So it's not about we just want excellence. But the problem, the way it is set up now, and it's not only affecting poor black people, it's also affecting poor white people. You know? sure. If you're not in these schools, you won't get through because that's where you're pushed. It's such a disadvantage. And rugby is not like athletics where if you are fast, you'll get spotted and you'll be put in a system. Rugby is... From a young age, from under 13 level, if you didn't play Craven Week, that means you won't make a good school, means you won't get good coaching, good opposition, good, you know, development. Exactly. Uh, you know, gym, all those type of things that, that these guys do. And that's what it takes to be a pro nowadays. You cannot go at, 
there are outliers. There are guys who can get it right. But you cannot go into a township at age 16 and compare them to someone that's in grey at age 16. And, and that's where transformation is failing us. Although you cannot say everybody that plays rugby should be given the same opportunity. That's, that's, you know, that's unrealistic. But what we can do is create centers of excellence where there's a need for it. And, and that's SA rugby and governments that should be their main focus so that you can rival. If you, out of the entire Mdansani area, could, could have one system that produces as much talent as Grey College does, for example. So. Sure. Yeah, then, because from under 13 level, they have access to the same kind of coaching and the same kind of opposition, the same kind of everything that Grey has. Then, You've done better. Then, then you're not. You, you, instead of having that one factory that plops it up, you've got two conveyor belts going, and one of them focuses on transformation, bringing back through the black talent. Because at this stage, we're failing. If you know, if a guy didn't catch the eye at under 13 level, he won't be given a bursary to go to to a, a great rugby school, and then, then he's lost. Yeah, we often see at these rugby festivals, there's um, like the invitational team which is basically that's just taking a whole bunch of black kids, putting them together for this week and saying, oh, look, there's a development team. Mm. Great. Wonderful. This looks wonderful on paper, but what is it? it yeah. Why is this not an academy team? I mean, look, I, I've, I've tried to research to get a great understanding of why talent is not being utilized. Again, it goes back to the resources again. So, yeah, it, it really should be about the government coming together and having academies of excellence rather than invitational teams. I think invitational teams, not only is it patronizing, but it's doing absolutely nothing other than showing, yes, there is talent out there, but talent is nothing about development. Correct. Okay, yeah, and we are running out of time. I just want to, before we get into, well, saying, saying goodbye for the week, um, Big match against the, against the the Wallabies and then followed up by a match against the All Blacks. Now, being realistic, the results, every single box match, obviously the result matters, but this isn't the be-all, end-all right now. We are looking at a potential slightly changed team um, as far as Alistair has got some really big questions to kind of um, to kind of answer as far as the fly half, uh, the scrum half, you know, is he going to tweak the fort, the front row? We've had some injury issues and there have been other concerns. What would what would be your sort of take right now if you were to change his team at all? Does Elton get a bit of a chance? Um, is that a lost cause now, or is it because we can't rush Pat Lambie back? I mean, that would be my first thing. I'd be so loath to do that at this stage. So, what would be the big sort of things that you could tinker with this team right now if you could? Okay, looking at the two games coming up, last two rugby championship games, it's got to be about saving face. Good point. If he, if he loses those two, we're in deep trouble. And, well, especially uh, the Aussie match, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we, he's got two options here. Uh, and as rightly, I agree, you can't bring Pat Lambie back now. Uh, but you can play Juan Horsen there. You can play Mornay Stan there, play a more conservative game with the guys that do like playing back in the pocket. And then you just slow it down, you know, just choose a, <coughs> spend the entire two weeks working on defense and making sure it's a low scoring game and then you get uh, it could even up against New Zealand because it's in Durban it could always rain if it doesn't rain the ball's going to be sweaty it won't be a very good attractive running game or they won't be allowed to play that game Yeah. Uh, so you've got that option be conservative go with staying play a very tactical game or you can give Yankees but when they do that then you've got to give him his entire 7, 8, 9, 12 combo so that he can play, and then you play a Yankees game. You play him, Yankees is good when he's flat, when he's got runners running off both his shoulders, not when he's back in the pocket and he has to play a tactical game. So if you want to give Yankees a chance, give Yankees a chance to be Yankees, play that game. Uh, that would require a new inside center for Janssen van Rens perhaps to bring, but we've platted you know, so many players, why not just one more? Exactly, and then why not just bring Mapu back in that setting, which was going to be his setting to play anyway? The, the problem with that is, you know, once you blood someone, you, you're making an investment, 
that he's going to pull back on later. Also with game plan. He, that's not his game plan. He doesn't want to play Yankees as his first choice, and he doesn't want to play that flat ball Lions game. And he won't play it. Once Pat Lambie and, and Paul Hart's back, they won't be playing that game. So to change your entire system and to go blood new players, just so that for two games you can do that, I don't know. Maybe it's give them, it gives them their best chance to win. You know, playing at the high field, especially that's, that's how the Lions were so successful in those last 20 minutes against the New Zealand sides. But it's, it's a temporary fix. But as would be to go com- completely conservative and, and forgetting exactly. about attacking. So it's a saving face option. I mean, I, if I was to be really pushed, I would say, right, the guy's obviously, I mean, he's he's got so, so much pressure on him. You can see he's going into his shell. He's becoming very despondent as young. She's, to have Stan to go in at number 10, save face, get the basis going, put him on the bench, get him to look at the game from a different perspective. Because right now, I'm sure it's eating him alive, the fact that no matter what he does, he's being crit- criticized around. And then, um, well, this rugby championship's not going to be great, but we've got overseas tour at the end of the year. Hopefully injuries, we're going to be a bit, a bit luckier. And then we can kind of look at making something of this team. But as this chat has confirmed, I don't think it's as dire as everyone thinks it is. I think, firstly, Alice Garcia must be given a bit more credit, a bit more respect. He is the man for the job right now. He's not everyone's perfect dude. He's not going to create, like, miracles after day one, two, or even 37. But um, we just, just keep all this kind of stuff in perspective, I think. And if we do, we might enjoy the game a bit more. I, I want to give you – I want to add one more thing there. And I, and I want people – if they still have it on recording and haven't deleted it immediately after, to go back to the All Black game and see that try we scored and understand the brilliance behind it in our attacking system and understand the potential we have there. What we did there is the ball came out, slow phase ball. We, we brought Yankees up. We played a guy inside run off his shoulder, which is not Springbok-like. We always play off nine. So the, the All Blacks had to shift defense to the channel now. The next move, the very next move from quick right ball, a runner off Fuff. Now all of a sudden they had to pull them back in. From there the ball went wide. I think it was Peter Steff that played it out in the outside channel when everybody got shifted in. Once he got tackled, we had a pick and drive going straight to the ruck when they started to try and cover wide again. And then they just were nowhere and that's why we got in for the easy try with no defensive alignment. To do that requires four different attacking systems. You know, we... The Springboks, the, the old Springboks, the, the World Cup winning Springboks only played off nine ever. You never saw anyone running off Mornay Stone. We had one attacking system. If, imagine if we can have four of them at the, at the same time. But to take that requires a lot of skill. That's why it requires a lot of time to get this going. But it, it's, the, it's the same system that was they were building towards under Heineken. You have these two pots of forwards to confuse them. Then you have the back line at the back also in two pots and, the, and a five in the middle that could play to both. Uh, it's starting to take shape. Uh, if it does come off eventually, it would be brilliant. At this stage, what we need is confidence. What we need is results. And uh, there are positive signs. I know people don't see them, but they are there. Uh, definitely, if they could only get a couple of results. If by some hook it's or true, crook, the results, miracle, results result the and, and the mood yeah. of the country can lift it a little bit, that would be. Maybe the injuries, maybe, but you're right, maybe the guy's coming back from injury. Maybe a lucky break. Maybe the Wallabies just have a really terrible game. Maybe the All Blacks get two red cards at the start of the match. Something happens in our favor and we get confidence, but we need that more than anything else. It is confidence. Well, Johan, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a great chat. The time has flown. Uh, where can people find you? Just give plug whatever you got because, as I said, your insights are actually worth paying attention to other than the shouting, shouting hordes out there. 
Uh, you can find me on supersport.com uh, where I'm editor for the rugby site. Uh, unfortunately, I don't do that weekly thing, but if you insist, I might do something again I, this week. I think week. you're underutilizing yourself. <laughs> Quite frankly, I think you should try harder. Yeah, that's the nice thing about being an editor. You can uh, outsource all the work, but I'll, I'll try and do some for you, Ben. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, I'm on Twitter at JWCutsia as well. That's where most of the of the talking happens. Okay, very good. Johan, thank you so much for your time. And um, go Boca. That's all I can say. Go Boca. <laughs> Until next week. Enjoy and don't don't get too upset. Get other hobbies. The box will come back. And I just hope the egos can kind of find their way away from the system. Thanks for joining us. Ciao. Cliffcentral.com.